What does it take to guide a multi-year transformation? Welcome to another episode of Relearning Leadership, where we explore a specific leadership challenge and break it down to help improve your leadership, your organization, and even your personal life. Just prior to this recording, I had the pleasure to share the big stage at the Business Agility Conference in New York City with my guest, Amjad Elzubi, the Chief Information Officer of Amerisher. We co-presented a three-year culture-shaping journey to improve their speed of innovation. You can watch that video posted on the episode page. For this discussion, Amjad and I sat down in a more intimate setting to learn more about the leader behind the title. I, I tend to see the world of you, you kind of flow maybe like water where, where you can, and where you can't, you slowly work your way around it. So eventually water will, will create a valley and chip away, but it will take the path of least resistance, perhaps. Thank you for joining us today. Let's dive in. Today, I am feeling incredibly fortunate. Um, I think this is the first time I've actually been able to do an in-person interview. Welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, Pete. It's great to see you. Great to be here in person as well. The conference has been great as well. Well, it's, it's really special because we've been able to actually develop and share a case study. And so we'll talk a little bit about that case study. But before we get into all that stuff, uh, maybe I'd just like to know just a little bit more about you. Who, who is Amjet? Wow, that's, that's a big question to answer and try to distill into something coherent, Pete, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, I guess I'd start with calling myself a pragmatic optimist. Uh, I, I like to think big things and think we can achieve a whole heck of a lot, but we also need to be pragmatic about it. It's got to be achievable and and uh, crazy, big, hairy goals that are not attainable, you give up on too easily. And, and you know, that is part of my leadership story, why I am the way I am. And I share that with my teams because early on in my career, I, I would I would charge forward and say, yeah, we can do that. And some people would have an adverse reaction, like, who is this guy? And they didn't buy into it. They thought I, they thought I was fake. And so I started to tell my leadership story and why I am the way I am and why I'm a pragmatic optimist. And I apply that to, to what I do in the teams that I lead. And well, heck, sometimes we surprise ourselves with what we can do. I love that term, pragmatic optimist. You know, when I think about setting realistic or, or effective goals, you know, I think about something that is tangible, but stretch, right? Like it's just out of reach. That's is right. Is that a fair way of That's saying that? That's very fair. The very fair. We, we say we can do it. We're not exactly sure how. But it, we think we can, and we figured it out. So you say that comes from somewhere. So is there a story behind here that that I'm missing still? A little bit of a story. It's not terribly dramatic, but my uh, it starts with my dad. My parents they they are from a small village in Jordan called Rumtha, and my dad was the only one of nine kids that went to college in his family. And when he was going to college, his undergrad. He was going to a next town over to go to school, and then after school he would come back and he'd work the farm back in the village. And he planted olive trees on the farm to to create some income for our family. And he tended to the olive trees while he was in school. Uh, he went to Baghdad for for his masters and ended up coming to the U.S. University of Michigan for his Ph.D. And that's what brought our family here. And so, as I reflect on that story, he. 
they gave up a lot to come here. Uh, and they took a little bit of a risk, of course, coming to a, to a new country with three kids in tow. There's more kids now, but uh, that was the, the story at the time. And we he achieved a lot through education, and, and I wasn't um, going to throw that away. And so that created the learner aspect of me. But the pragmatic piece was through, through his journey of coming here, through my journey of, of growing up, there were things that I could do and couldn't do. There's a culture gap. My parents grew up in Jordan. I grew up here. And so I had to be somewhat pragmatic about, you know, what's what's the <laughs> the right thing to push on, if you will, if that makes sense. But it, it really helped me realize that for certain situations, you really do have to understand where, where your limits are and, and pick and choose the battles you want to fight. Well, I know you just shared with me losing your father a couple of years ago, and it's awesome to see him living through you today. And he was probably looking proudly upon you, I can imagine. You're going to make me emotional, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I imagine there's a lot of listeners who have not achieved that C-level title. As I think about the status and the authority you get from a C-suite, in your case, CIO title, what was that path like for you? What was it like to move through leadership ranks? And is it different up there? I like to say that our careers are winding roads and we have to be ready for the ride. I, I, I think I, I wrote this down a couple of weeks ago of if you're not in the driver's seat, it's not that fun. But if you're driving and, and you're going through that winding road, it can be a, a thrill ride. Mm-hmm. You're going to loop back sometimes. You're going to have setbacks sometimes. So mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to take on new growth roles. I've had the opportunity to take on roles that were less than my previous role. And, and of course, that wasn't by choice, but it was what the situation called for. I understood that in one particular case, for example, I took a title demotion to work for a different leader and I ended up learning a ton from her. Hmm. And so you can always learn from the situation that you're in. Getting that diverse set of experiences really helped position me for whatever the next thing was, thinking differently about problems. And the promotions and the roles and the titles followed. And so that's that's what I continuously focus on. So So that's my story of how I got to where I am. Is it different? I guess a little bit. The positional power, of course, is there, but I still approach things as business problems to solve, and that hasn't changed, and I think that that really uh, helps me connect with folks no matter what level they're at. I certainly feel that with you. You know, I feel like you're very down-to-earth, and, you know, I think a lot of people create their own fear in talking to senior leaders, and that threat is in their brain, regardless of what you do. I think you do a really good job of bringing that down and just creating a rapport that makes people comfortable. So I probably give you a little kudos on, on being Thank able you. to level set that. Yeah, this is a this is a job about people, technology, agility. It's about people and connecting with people. And if, if we don't have that, then we're not having good conversations. Hmm. Well, I love how you're leveraging what we would call that growth mindset, right? Taking heat moments, taking difficult situations and saying, hey, you know, we can learn from those. Uh, I remember our kids in school hating their teachers or, you know, whatever that was. And for us, it was like, you know, you're not always going to be able to pick your boss. The only thing you can do is what are you going to learn from this situation? How do you apply yourself to to learn? Because it's it's not going to be easy for you. And it sounds like you've applied that to a lot of the the step you've taken, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. And and for a while, I did it without even realizing it. it. It took me reflecting on how people react to my pragmatic optimism to reflect on why am I the way that I am and, and does it make sense in this? So 
it's certainly something that I'm more intentional about, in fact, now that I recognize it. Well, amazingly, Amjad is a CIO, so that's, that is the, the technical side of the business, but yet you keep talking about people here, and, and that's really what we're here you know, sharing a story about at the business conference, is a, a culture-shaping story. So maybe introduce us to this. This started about three years ago, uh, I know 2018 or so. Even before we met in 2019, what was going on? What, what kind of sparked a, a different journey for Amerisher and, and, and your role in, in this journey? I joined Amerisher in June of 2018. And I don't know this for sure, but I, I think I'm directionally correct. The leadership team there recognized the need to, to try things differently. And coming from the background that I had, I think they they recognized that and picked me for what I can help the company with. And I, I picked the company because I felt that they were ready for the change. And so with that matchmaking, we then got into the fall of 2018 and we started to reflect on what's happening at the company. And the key themes that started to emerge were the, the challenges of having too much work in flight, too much concurrent work, too few people that knew so much information, knowledge silos, if you will, the need to get things right the first time, the amount of planning that we, we have up front. So it really resulted in an inability for us to go fast and to innovate and we knew with the increasing pace of change that that had to be a muscle that we we exercised and got stronger. So the, the time was right. Uh, I had some of the experience to, to help bring it all to the table, but it wasn't a one-person job. It's just the way we came together, the time was right. And then when you when you joined in, you helped us put words and pictures around what we were hearing and feeling. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, you weren't even CIO at that point, right. correct? Isn't correct. That, isn't that true? And so, yeah, I think it was a team sport. I want to give a shout out to Rob Coleman from Michigan Technology Services here, who did make our connection and services your region and is one of our partners who brought us together. And yeah, so one of the first things that I know we did uh, when we met was to share a view of culture. And I think people listening to this may or may not understand kind of what that looks like, but Maybe paint us a picture in your mind. How did you see that impact the leadership team? Having a visual representation of our culture really focused our conversation, our discussion on, on the problem statement. The culture map that we had really emphasized that we had a control culture. And that's what we were feeling. That's what we were talking about. But we started to recognize why we, we had that culture, the value in that culture, and, and the need to balance it out, though. And that's what it's really all about for Amerisher is, is finding that balance. And so the conversation we had was, who is Amerisher? What's the, the best culture for Amerisher? And then we could start talking about how to get to that culture. So the, the map really opened up our eyes for realizing, hey, we can do this. And we can be intentional and purposeful about the type of culture change we want to drive. You know, you've said to me openly as well, it wasn't a surprise. You know you're a control culture. It's an insurance company. I mean, safety is your bottom line. But at the same time, what you're saying is maybe seeing it in a slightly different way or seeing how they interconnect between safety and, in this case, innovation and creativity can be a really interesting kind of dynamic. Absolutely. And you start to loosen them up in some cases where you do want to experiment and can take on more risk, whereas the areas that you don't, with audit, with compliance, mm -hmm. we you want to retain those controls. With rolling out technology, 
we can take on a little bit more risk. We can break work down more. And so we were able to pinpoint the things we wanted to do differently. With people, it was creating that safety to experiment, the safety to, to fail in, in smaller batches, if you will. We, we, we of course, don't want the, the catastrophic failures. We also wanted to limit, maybe even prohibit, the failures from reaching our customers. So at the mm. outset, when we were first getting started, we were very, let's say, pragmatic about our approach of these are the things we're going to do and experiment with, and these are what we're not going to do. And it really helped frame and, and make folks comfortable with trying this new thing out for us. Did you find that you personally had to change or was this pretty natural for you? How did that impact you personally? For me, really, it did come natural, Pete. I, I, I tend to see the world of you, you kind of flow maybe like water where, where you can. And where you can't, you slowly work your way around it. So eventually water will create a valley and chip away, but it will take the, the, the path of least resistance, perhaps. It was more natural for me to think about, hey, where can we affect change? Where can we create wins? Where can we make it cool to participate so that others thought, hey, I want to do that thing? And when, when you think like that, you identify folks that are ready and can, can start that journey with you. And there was a group, our claims organization, uh, was really ready for that. And they were a great partner at the outset because they, they were there ready to try just about any experiment. And they continued to be the model for mm. doing the, the new things the new way. Well, why is that? What was the motivation behind there? Can you point to anything particularly that created that urgency? From the claims team? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know that I've thought about it that way before. The leaders were ready. Um, they had the most advanced technology. And so they were further along in their journey and, and they had been doing some of that work before I even got there. So I don't know, it was maybe taking advantage of the wave and riding that wave mm. a little bit harder. Well, and I think what you're pointing at is, you know, as leaders, sometimes we get frustrated with the resistors. So we get frustrated with those pushing back. And sometimes it's better to just not deal with that and focus on the receptors, focus on those who are eager and focus on those early adopters to drive forward. And, and sometimes those laggards or resistors, you know, are just more hesitant or on a later spectrum. And, and so by putting all of our energy that way, it, it kind of prevents our focus going forward. And, and so maybe, you know, as you're saying, right, the path of least resistance sometimes is the most effective. That's right. And, and you save yourself a lot of angst and frustration <laughs> along the way. There, there's something to be said for that. You know, your single word for agility earlier today was patience. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that as well. So wh while I might have had the end state in mind when we started, we had to be patient. I had to be patient. People weren't just going to get there. And so we're doing things today in year four that I had envisioned in year zero when we built our roadmap and we built our maturity model. And it takes quite a bit of patience to say, we're gonna do first things first and build our way to mature to where we can be today, which I'm thrilled about this next iteration of our, of our roadmap, where we're making switch from projects to products. Cause now we're scaling. Now we're going big and wide with, with this change. If you don't have patience as a leader, if you don't have that, that buy-in from the rest of the leadership team to also be patient while delivering value along the way, it's gonna be a tough road. So let's pause on, on that a second. Four years, right? So 
We've been on basically on our fourth year on this journey of, of shaping your culture for more innovation and, and you know speed of delivery to your to your customers. Let's jump to the end for just a second. What is different today? What does that look like at Amerisure? And, and how do you know what you've done in the middle here, which we haven't talked about too much? How do you know that's paying off? So today we're, we're delivering faster. We're delivering more value. We're including our customers as we deliver. And we've got a freer flow of information and, and, a, and a better way to plan. Now, that's in pockets. We, we haven't scaled it. And so we continue to learn, we continue to get better, but it's it's very visible where it is happening, that it's happening differently. And we've demonstrated that it's a better way for us at Amerisher to do it. I feel like we've got a lot of buzzwords and, <laughs> and we've got a lot of uh, euphoria here. So let's bring it down to something real. Talk to us about maybe one new innovation, technology, or something that's been delivered now that was difficult years ago. So. Make it a little more tangible for us. Certainly. With our claims team, this this journey actually started a couple of years back. We wanted to roll out a digital first notice of loss capability. And for those who don't know, in insurance, when there's a claim, we need to, we need to find out. Somebody needs to tell us. And our, our previous model was we would get a phone call or an email, something like that, asynchronous. And so we wanted to roll out the ability to, to let us know via a phone uh, via PC, whatever. But if you're using your phone, take pictures, let us know what the damage is, things like that that are very helpful to us. And then in return, one of the biggest pain points for our customers was that there wasn't a claim number that they got when they when they gave us notice. And it's like getting the confirmation page when you do a transaction online. It's assuring, hey, we're making sure we got you. We got it. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big customer win. Well, we kicked it off as a project and our initial go at it was going to be 12 to 18 months and we were going to deliver it as a big bang at the end and some of you might be thinking hey that's not very innovative well for us it was the the the, the capability in the future was new to us it's new to our customers and so what we did is we took that project and then we decided to apply some practices to it and so we started to decompose the work break down the work and we ended up delivering our, our first capability in half the time that we thought we would based on this new way of working. And as we continued with additional capabilities and features, we transitioned that project to a product. It was a persistent team that knew the outcome that the outcomes that they wanted to drive and they kept working at it. They kept going at it and they continued to innovate. And then we threw out we threw new claims capabilities at them and they continued to deliver them exceptionally well. So we've got the Google of insurance now. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that because you're talking about something that's impacting somebody who's under stress and being part of the Colorado fires this past few months, I understand much more about the insurance process right now and the frustration when you don't have communication. And what I love about this is you're not just building an app, you're building a workflow communication structures, you're you're dealing with all sorts of parts of your business that are getting impacted. These are customer changing experiences. That's right. And and when we think about them that way, it brings the team even tighter together. Our claims team, claims department people and our IT department people have come together as the claims experience team. I mean, how much more can you ask for? One of the things that I see most difficult for companies is sticking with a journey, right? It's that sustained attention 
that it takes an investment year over year to get the payout. You know, one of the terms I'll often use is it's like investing. You know, if you invest for a year, okay, maybe you get the quick win, but it's pretty unlikely. You know, it takes that constant reinvestment. How did that work? Tell us a little bit about the struggles and, and how that was able to stay focused over that period of time. Yeah, perhaps to extend that analogy of investments, we had to pay dividends. So if we were just accruing value or wealth, but it wasn't liquid or attainable, I think we wouldn't have been able to stick with it the way that we did. But by paying dividends, we, we saw the value and it was real and it was tangible. So we were very purposeful about early wins, quick wins, repeated wins, but also lessons learned. So when, when things didn't go according to plan, we talked about it and we, we were intentional about saying, yes, this wasn't good, but it's good that we're talking about that it wasn't good. And let's celebrate that because we learned quickly. And there, there were several scenarios where we, we did reflect and say, uh, we failed fast, that's good. There were a couple of scenarios where we failed slowly and uh, we learned from those as well. We, we don't wanna fail slowly. As I think about others who might follow you or try an adventure like this, <laughs> what advice, what, what thoughts do you have that you can look back on and say, hey, this is something to be aware of, or you know, this was critical for our success, at least success to this point. What is it that you kind of fall back on were maybe some of those keys or some of the boulders to watch out for? It takes a lot of time. And we talked about that, having having grace with ourselves and with us as an APG, driving it forward with pace and with purpose, of course, because that's how you move things. That's how you make big change. But but we're, we're human. We're people. We're, I'm going to keep coming back to that and, and knowing that we were there for each other and sticking with it. And, and that was important, too. So our APG, our Agile Practice Group, was a cross-functional group of leaders. And there's ebbs and flows, as you all know, throughout your day jobs. And we, we picked up the pace for each other as needed. So some would go away for a little while because something was happening and they'd come back. And we used our sprints to plan it like that. So if I were to tease out what I heard in that, you're not alone. you got a team. Mm -hmm. You are leveraging an agile approach yourself. And so you're iterating and learning and, and supporting each other on that path forward. And you've you've got some key stakeholders who have your back mm -hmm. and who are in a sense helping to keep that that investment going forward and my guess is also you probably saw some incremental wins yes there's probably some steps along the way that said this is working it wasn't four years of drought and then no. big bang yeah i was very intentional of making sure that we did it and we targeted it and we celebrated it no matter how small Pete. Because when you're first getting started, every little bit counts. And, and sometimes volume matters, even though, though it's, it's small pieces of, of value, but it's still valuable because it helps tell the story and it helps compel more people to join up and to try something. And that's what we wanted. We wanted people to try, just give it a shot and try. Because I felt and continue to feel strongly that this is a great way of working. Any particular boulders in there that you want people to know about, to watch out for? Any hurdles that you think are especially challenging that you've had to deal with? One of the things that w we struggled to get out of the gate with was for people to go after training and just start. They wanted an answer and a, a more 
defined way of doing things. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. I didn't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't help the teams become uh, self-organized and, and become empowered and to work for what's right for them. Each team is going to have their own little subculture. Mm. So I, I continue to encourage them much to their chagrin to keep going, use the retros. What we didn't do enough of at the, at the outset though, is to give them coaching. We thought as an APG, we could coach. And for whatever reason, they didn't call upon us very often. So we ended up bringing in an external coach and uh, there was some uptake there. So that was a curious one for me. I still haven't cracked that nut quite yet, but coaching matters and the, and the people really responded to it. Well, I'm not surprised if I were to go back <laughs> to my own kids, right? They would get coaching from their coach, but not from dad. So, you know, I think there's probably some, some of that in there mm -hmm. that it's a, doesn't feel, always feel safe to get coaching from your boss. Uh, so for all my coach friends out there, you still got a job for at least uh, at least another quarter or two. Well, MJ, what I want to say is just thank you for sharing your story and the story of Amerisher. Thank you, Pete. I, uh, I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's personal to me, both my story, of course, obviously, but what we're doing at Amerisher, I, I take a lot of pride in it. I think Amerisher is a great place, and uh, I'm going to do my dangest to make sure that we, we remain in the game for another 100 years. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to share the big stage and the small stage with Amjed and to be able to walk alongside their journey to improve speed of innovation. Validation that Amerisher is on an accelerated innovation path comes through two independent insurance bodies, Novarica Research Council and Salent Model Insurer. Amerisher has been recognized for four consecutive years for their digital innovation practice, their agile practice group, and two separate artificial intelligence systems they developed. So here's what I'm taking away from our discussion. Number one, flow like water. Oftentimes the path of least resistance is the optimal path. Pick your battles and focus your attention on early adopters to create flow and to begin eating away at those bigger boulders. Two, show patience. Leaders are often a few steps ahead of others in the organization. Without a bit of patience, others may quickly become lost or disillusioned. Three, pay dividends. Significant transformation requires time. However, stakeholders have little patience and need to see progress. So find, share, and celebrate wins along the journey to keep the momentum and spirits. And finally, share the driver's seat. Life is more fun in the driver's seat. Seek opportunities to let everyone drive. That means sharing ownership and empowering others to take the controls. Thank you for joining us today and stay past the credits for another celebration by Joy Zimmerman. Relearning Leadership is the official podcast of the Agile Leadership Journey. It's hosted by me, Pete Behrens, with analysis from our Global Guide community. It's produced by Ryan Dugan, with music by Joy Zimmerman. If you loved listening to this podcast, please leave us a review. 
And visit our website, relearningleadership.show, for guest profiles, episode references, transcript, comments, and more. And to relearn more about your own leadership, visit us at agileleadershipjourney.com. This season, we're celebrating Joy Zimmerman's award-winning album, The Canvas, before us. For this episode, I connected to one of Joy's older songs of Journey, Thus Far. I see Amjad and Amerishur on a journey, and the story they shared today only represents a few steps along that path. Thank you for sharing your story thus far. Enjoy Thus Far by Joy Zimmerman. for carrying me through thus far thank you for carrying me through thus far thank you for carrying me through thus far for i have so far to go thank you for holding me closely thus far thank you for holding me closely thus far Thank you for holding me closely thus far For I have so far to go With patience and kindness you fill the well Singing still in your still small voice The compassion and mercy you foretell Whispering still in your still small voice Thank you for walking beside me thus far Thank you for walking beside me thus far Thank you for walking beside me thus far For I have so far to go With patience and kindness you fill the well Singing still in your still small voice the compassion and mercy you foretell Whispering still in your still small voice Thank you for knowing me wholly thus far Thank you for knowing me wholly thus far Thank you for knowing me wholly thus far For I have so far to go Thus far. 